Please do turn with me once again in your Bibles uh, now to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. One of the things that's good about um, preaching consecutively is you know, in one sense, what's next. You may not know how far you're going to go, but at least you pick up where you left off. Uh, The only problem with that sometimes is you then hit a passage that you have no idea what it means and one that you would like to skip, maybe. But here we are going to just continue on. Um, But before we uh, look to God's word, let's look to him once again in prayer. Father, be pleased to reveal yourself to your people through your word, by your spirit. Help us to realize that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, Father, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our minds to know, our hearts to receive and embrace. And would you strengthen our hands and feet to walk with Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen. What do people fear? What are people afraid of? You could Google that, right? And find a list. But let's rephrase that question, those questions. What do you fear? What are you afraid of? Think with me about a fill-in-the-blank or a multiple-choice test. Would you put the dark, height, water, flying, spiders, snakes, dogs, injections, diving off the high board, illness, terrorism, job loss, death? That's multiple choice. Uh, You may have some others to fill in the blank. How about this? Are you, do you fear, are, are you afraid of what people may think about what you fear? In other words, you might not be able to be honest because you're afraid of what people would think about what you're afraid of. Maybe what you and I need is just some kind of anonymous survey. You know, we don't have to put our name on it, but we can fill it out. Have you ever thought about this? Whatever you fear controls you. Let me say that again. Whatever you fear controls you. It exercises control over your life. It's in the driver's seat. It's the pilot in command. It calls the shots. Whatever you fear commands you. We're working our way through the gospel according to Luke, knowing for sure. Luke is specifically writing to address the need of his patron, the one he's writing for, Theophilus, uh, assuring him of what he's been taught about Jesus, wanting 
him then and all of his readers up to this day to have confidence, not arrogance, not certainty about anything and everything, but certainty about Jesus. So far in chapter 8, we've seen in the first 15 verses the heart of hearing. And then last week we saw in verses 16 through 21 that we were to give attention to the word of God. Uh, The parable of the sower or the soils, it's really the key to all the parables that we'll see. The seed is the word. The soil is the condition of of the hearts of the hearers. Now think about this. As Jesus was speaking the parables, he was actually sowing the word and the hearers were responding in different ways, the ways that he described. They, the hearers, were part of the parable themselves. Hearers then, readers now. And through the parable... Jesus issues three calls as he continues to teach. He calls us to listen to his word, to take time to reflect on what you are hearing, what you are reading. He calls us to consider the condition of our hearts. How receptive is our heart to the word of God? Are our hearts hard or shallow or distracted? Or are they soft? deep and focused. He calls us to listen. He calls us to consider. He also calls us to be encouraged about the work of his word. Yes, there is a caution. What is the condition of our hearts? But as you saw in verse 15, with that good soil, the emphasis is not on failure or a waste of seed. The emphasis is on the success of of the word, the abundance of the words, the fruit of the word. Well, today, as I mentioned, we begin a three-part mini-series, a movement from the call to listen to the call to believe. So the word that has been declared to be powerful will now be demonstrated to be powerful in ways that point to who Jesus is, and thus it provides a growing basis for the faith that he calls for in those who follow him. In other words, these demonstrations of Jesus's power are going to work to provide assurance. Remember the purpose and plan of Luke to provide assurance. In this three-part mini-series, the focus is gonna be on the necessity of faith in Jesus. And we'll see concrete examples of what it looks like to have faith in Jesus as he shows us his authority over today, over nature, over danger, and next time over demons, over Satan, over the unseen spiritual world. And then finally, his authority over disease and death, His, his authority over life in a fallen world. Luke invites us to draw one conclusion about Jesus. At the end of his gospel, all throughout his gospel, he's wanting his reader to draw one conclusion about Jesus of Nazareth. He is God. He has come to establish his kingdom. How? By saving all kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. 
Let's now read Luke 8, 22 through 25. One day he, that is Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? that he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Now, while it's understandable maybe to focus on the details of the storm or the fear of the disciples, Luke's main focus is Jesus. The disciples' response to what they had just experienced presents the central question of Luke. Our text ends with a question, who then is this? But I believe our text also provides some answers to this question for those who listen to his word and consider the condition of their hearts. You see, Jesus is the one who leads us into storms, rules over nature, and calls for faith. Uh, One day, hopefully soon, we'll be able to have a a bulletin that includes kind of a rough outline like that that says Jesus is the one who leads us into storms, rules over nature, and calls for faith. So let's look first at the fact that Jesus leads us into storms. Let's look at Jesus first. There's the plan to cross the lake. And who does it originate with? Jesus. It's his plan. Let us go across to the other side. He led his disciples. He's deliberately teaching them. Jesus falls asleep. If you look back at what's been going on in Luke Jesus has been working pretty hard. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. He's been doing works that display the power of God. And he is tired. I mean, anybody that spends time with crowds knows that crowds tire you. Anybody that spends time one-on-one after a while, you get tired. Jesus is tired. He's exhausted. Here's Luke saying Jesus is fully human. He's a man who has hunger, who is tired, who needs to sleep. So now let's take a look at the storm. It's a wind storm on what Luke would call the Lake of Gennesaret, but others would call it the Sea of Galilee. About seven miles across, about 13 miles long and about 700 feet below sea level. Only the Dead Sea is lower than the Sea of Galilee. It's surrounded by high mountains. It's like a basin. And 
what happens is the cold air of the uh, in the mountains uh, comes in contact with the warm air over the water and in a moment in an instant there can be very violent winds a windstorm a squall the boat was filling with water it was becoming swamped and i and i found it interesting if you read carefully it says and they were filling with water now every commentator says oh that means the boat was filling with water but if you think about what's going on in the midst of this windstorm this water out on this lake they themselves may have felt that they were filling with water y'all know another name for that right drowning there's a lot of ways to die drowning has got to be one of the worst It's an understatement, right? They're in danger. I mean, Luke just uses in danger to describe the terrifying situation they're in. Kids, you know how I've talked about prepositions are really important in the Christian life? Well, sometimes word order is really important as well. Think about this. The boat is in the water, right? But water is not supposed to be in the boat, right? Boat in the water is good. Water in the boat is bad. And there is a lot of water in the boat. I mentioned earlier about this Old Testament passage that the um, disciples would be familiar with. Well, everyone would be familiar with the, the, the idea that the sea was a symbol of chaos and forces opposing God. It also symbolized the trials of the righteous whose only help is God, as we sang, in a mighty fortress is our God, based on Psalm 46. And all of the Hebrew scriptures, when it talked about the sea, made it clear that the only one who had the ability to permit or cause the storm was also the only one who had the ability to calm the storm. The only one was God himself. So we've looked at Jesus. We've looked at, at the storm. Now let's look at the disciples. Who are some of them? Experienced fishermen, sailors, know the Sea of Galilee. They've got a nautical chart in their mind. They have been to sea. They have fished. They've been in storms. But they are terrified. They are desperate they turn to Jesus, they wake, uh, they wake him, and they cry out, what? Master, Master, we are perishing. Is that an accusation against Jesus? Is that a request for Jesus to do something? Is, it, is this just a statement of reality? Well, in Mark, we read this, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Here, this, this statement, the way Luke phrases it, the way Luke did research and whoever he talked to, to to get the story, we are perishing. In other words, Jesus, do something. We're perishing. 
They doubted whether Jesus really cared for them. They allowed the storm to come between them and the assurance of his care. They they failed to trust him. They failed to take him at his word. What did Jesus say? He said, we're going to the other side. And this storm somehow gets in the way of Jesus's word of what they were going to do. Now, before we move on, while we're still in this, Jesus leads us into storms. Just think for a moment about the storms that may be threatening you. What external circumstances, what is going on around you that you would easily characterize as a storm? You're terrified. Well, maybe not outside of you, but how about inside you? Is there a windstorm going on right now inside of you? Is, is, is there something chaotic going on? Are you terrified of it? Are you desperate for relief? Now, this magnitude and severity of the storm leads experienced fishermen to fear, to fear for their lives. Not that they're just going to lose their boat, but they fear that they're going to die. We are perishing, not the boat's paid off or the boat's not paid off and it's lost. No, we are perishing. They believe they're about to die. They run to Jesus and they wake him. What will Jesus do? Well, we see secondly in Luke's answer to this question of who then is this? Jesus is the one who rules over nature. He rebuked the wind and the waves. Uh, Recall in chapter four, Jesus rebukes the demons. He rebukes the fever He's subduing darkness and he's bringing order out of chaos. And as a result of his speaking, what happens? The storm ceases and there is a calm. So what does this miracle reveal? It's not just an impressive miracle. It's a demonstration of divine authority over nature. You see, Jesus was asleep. He's human. Now he speaks to nature and nature obeys. He is divine. He is in control as the creator. In the Old Testament, people prayed, right? Psalm 107, people cried out. They prayed and then God acts. But notice that Jesus does not pray to his father. They don't bring a prayer request to Jesus. They just make a statement. Master, master, we are perishing. He doesn't pray to his father. Rather, he brings this about by his own word. He is doing what only God can do. The creator speaks and things happen. For a brief moment, the disciples in the boat See the majesty, the power, and the glory of Jesus. 
revealed. It's, it's not the Mount of Transfiguration, but it's another revealing of the power and the glory and the majesty of Jesus. It's like lightning in the storm. You, get, you see where you are. You see what's going on. They see Jesus just as he is in his power and his glory. Now, I love this word when I first learned it a number of years ago. And so when I can use it, I'll use it. Juxtaposition, right? How often do we use that word? Juxtaposition. So what do you have? You have Jesus's humanity. He's a man and he's divinity. He's divine. He, he's God side by side. A mystery to be sure. In fact, J.I. Packer argues that the real stumbling block in Christianity is not the resurrection. It's the incarnation. If you get the incarnation, everything else makes sense. That's why Advent, it's not going to be a commercial thing for this church. It's not going to be, you know, get on board with what everybody else is doing. But we're going to focus on the incarnation. God becoming man. God coming to do for man what man could never do for himself. Jesus rules over nature. He is the ruler of all nature. We could have sung, Ferris, Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, son of God and son of man, divinity, humanity. There it is. We sang with John Newton, though troubles assail us. But also that song has been updated uh, with some new um, music. Um, went back to the words of Newton. And in fact, a year ago from right here, the song, uh, The Lord Will Provide, was sung when Indelible Grace was here with us. And here's a line from The Lord Will Provide. We may like the ships by tempest be tossed on perilous deeps, but cannot be lost. You know that the Navy's fight song is Anchors Away. But did you know that the Navy has a hymn? It's hymn number 630 in the Trinity hymnal. Eternal Father, strong to save. And, and listen to these words. O Savior, whose almighty word, the winds and waves submissive heard. Calm amid its rage did sleep. O hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. The humanity of Jesus. He's tired. He's asleep. Just like us. The divinity of Jesus. Not like us. He speaks to the natural world and it obeys. Luke here has shown us that Jesus leads us into storms. He rules over nature. And he will now show us also that Jesus calls for faith. Jesus calls for faith. After this speaking to the wind and the waves and the chaos became calm, look what we read in verse 25. And Jesus said to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? 
in Matthew, you read of little faith. In, in Mark, have you still no faith? Um, it's a little bit different here in Luke because of what he's emphasizing. He, he's, he's saying, Jesus is saying, I, I know you've got faith. You're beginning to have faith, but, but where is it right now? In this circumstance, right here, right now, on the boat, in the storm, where is your faith? Is the faith that is possessed faith that's also being exercised, applied? Where is your faith? And so this miracle account is a call for faith. Those Younger people here may know that when I've tried to illustrate faith in those three essential aspects of knowledge, assent, and trust, or to say it in Latin and forgive me, uh, notitia, ascensus, and fiducia, right? Knowledge, assent, and trust. I've used that illustration of a chair, right? You look at a chair and you say, that's a chair, You've got knowledge of what it is. And then you look at that chair and say, you know what? If I sit in it, it will hold me up. You assent to the truth that that chair will hold you up when you sit in it. But what's the last thing? You, you actually trust it. You, you sit in it. You exercise. You apply. There's knowledge of who Jesus is. There's growing understanding that he's doing some things that only God can do. And if that's the case, then why are we afraid? Why do we fear? He's literally in the same boat with us. And what is the disciples' response? Fear, wonder, amazement, marvel, and a question. Uh, there's a reverential fear. There's an awe. In Mark's, it's mega fear. It's fearing with a great fear. You see, the terror of the sea has turned into a fear of the master's power. On the one hand, we're going to die. And on the other hand, we're going to live. Fear is the result, or fear is involved in, in both. Shakespeare's Hamlet really did ask a good question, right? To be or not to be, that is the question, but it's not really the question that's ultimately the most important. It's this, who then is this? Who then is this is the question. I don't know if you have already thought about this, but if you turn back to Jonah chapter one, there's some parallels and similarities between this miracle and the story of Jonah, the prophet. Remember, he was going anywhere but Tarshish, right? He was going the opposite direction. No, he, he, yeah, excuse me, he was going anywhere but Nineveh. He got on a boat and headed to Tarshish. Remember, 
And in verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. They, they dumped out the cargo, nothing changed. Then they heard from Jonah, hey, I'm the problem. I'm running from God. If you toss me into the sea, it'll be cleared up, right? So at the end, or in verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they, off, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. A raging sea, a calm sea. The disciples have a terror of sorts at the calm sea. And there's also a terror on the part of the mariners as well in the boat after they throw Jonah into the sea. The calm is not so calm maybe after all. That Jesus calms hearts the storm in hearts isn't really the central truth. I mean, if you want to just spiritualize this Jesus calming the storm, I mean, you could say, oh yeah, just like Jesus calmed the sea with the disciples, he calms the storm in my heart. But, but that's not the central thing going on here. Rather, it's the stilling of the storm, this natural storm that actually raises a spiritual storm in their hearts. Who then is this? The miracle is not just a raw demonstration of power. It's an epiphany. It's an unveiling. A savior is there in their midst. Who is Jesus? Luke wants us to know that he's the one who leads us into storms to test our faith. He wants us to know that Jesus is the one who rules over nature to strengthen our faith. And Jesus is the one who calls for faith, not in general, but faith in him. So our question is like the disciples, who then is this? what the disciples ask. It's what Luke is prompting his readers to ask. Who is this? He's the ruler and Lord of all nature. He has power and authority over nature. He's, in other words, to use the words that we find in the text, he is the master and commander. He's savior in the midst of peril, storms, and trials. He has already been rescuing all kinds of people. And we will see more of that as we go further in Luke. We see that he cares for those he calls to himself. That's our question. Who then is this? But Jesus also, not only from this text, but now asks this question. Where is your faith? Where's your faith? The disciples are being tested through fear of death. 
But we know more than the disciples, don't we? We've got the whole story. With the miracle in Jonah, it's not possible to determine if there's an intentional connection, but, but it's clear. In chapter 11 of Luke, Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah in his life and the fact that someone greater than Jonah is here. But unlike Jonah, who is running from God, Jesus always ran toward his father. On the cross, Jesus was thrown into the raging storm and sea of God's wrath and consumed so that you and I, those who have faith in Jesus, wouldn't be consumed, but rather would have peace and calm and be saved. My friends, I don't know what's going on around you or inside you, but I can say this, that Jesus calmed the only storm that could really sink us. Jesus stilled the only storm that really could take our lives from us. The storm of God's justice and wrath. He did that by dying on the cross so that you and I would be saved. And if we see Jesus doing that, won't we be able to trust him in all the other smaller storms of life, whether it's loved ones with cancer, whether it's job uncertainty, whether it's interpersonal relationships that have gone sour or south. If Jesus has done this, will he not also take care of everything else? What did the disciples say to Jesus? We are perishing. In other words, we're going to die. What were they fearing at that moment? They were fearing death. It's a pretty much universal fear, isn't it? But hear these words from Hebrews chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Whatever you fear controls you. The disciples were afraid of death, and yet Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, promised return. He has freed us from that fear. They came to Jesus because they knew he was their master. He had already authority in their lives. They were following him. And now they knew him as commander, the one who commands nature, nature obeys. He's master and commander. He is the king. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoice. Father, we thank you. that in the midst of whatever storms 
that are in us or around us, Jesus is master and commander. Father, help us to know, like John Wesley said as he lay dying, the best of all is God is with us. Father, we thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that literally Jesus is in the boat with us. We're going with him. He is with us. Father, may we be strengthened and encouraged to know that the one who leads us into storms is the one who rules all nature and he's the one who calls for faith and gives us faith. Help us, God, to trust him more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.